0: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of appropriate ages, welcome back to another episode of Because I Have a Live Mic here on Fluent Radio. What is up, guys? Hope everybody's enjoying this. Not as wet Sunday anymore. It stopped raining. So right now we're doing pretty good. We got a packed show for you today. Gonna we'll talk about everything in the NFL, how the Bears are slowly, slowly making me go into the depression. Uh, we also going to talk about how 16 years ago, probably the most infamous thing in sports happened. Uh, but first, as always, going to start off with the um, COVID tests uh, in the NFL. They, so far, so good. Again, it's another week of clearing negatively. So everybody is tested and everything has been tested negative for it. So right now we're doing pretty good on that te- test front. Uh, once again, it's another week of po- uh, non positives. Everybody was be able to clear. And right now it's sort kind of shaping up to look like Uh, that we are getting moving past this in the NFL, at least Uh, the college football scene is still completely flooded with COVID. It's almost as if having college kids on a college campus, you know, raises the rate. I wonder why, (laughs) but uh, yeah, so far in the NFL, that's good. Um, Although we do have a big injury report. um, Drew Brees, the New Orleans Saints quarterback is out for at least three to four weeks with 11 broken ribs, uh, uh, and he thought originally he had a collapsed lung. He doesn't. He's fine on that front. But, yeah, he has um, 11 crack ribs. So, he's going to be out for three to four weeks. They were wondering if they were going to put him on IR. And so far, they didn't. So, he's still able to come back eventually whenever the doctors clear him. Which is going to be weird because Drew Brees, again, is a older quarterback. So, um, that's going to be interesting to see how that works out because of the fact that you know being an old quarterback he kind of heals a little bit slowly you know it says three weeks but it can go up to maybe five because we don't know how his body's going to work to that and the Saints are in an actual interesting position because they have um two backups that are fun to watch in a sense right you have Taysom Hill who is exciting but as a quarterback, we don't know what he can deliver from bail to bail because we never really seen him from start to finish as a quarterback in the starting position. And then we have Jameis Winston, who we know he can throw touchdowns. The only issue is he tends to throw a lot of interceptions. But to be fair to Jameis Winston, the, the interceptions he has thrown, he was also throwing them halfway blind because he just got LASIK surgery, so he just fixed his eyes. So, to be fair to him, he was throwing blind out there. But he still threw for 5,000 yards last year, 33 touchdowns. So he has a quarterback that can play. And the Saints went with Taysom Hill, which I am not shocked by because I feel like they want to see what they have in Taysom Hill. But remember, they parted ways with Teddy Bridgewater, who went 5-1 as a starter when Drew Brees went out last year. And they said they went... That they were going to go all in on Taysom Hill, but then in the offseason they go pick up somebody like a Jameis Winston, so that sends mixed signals, so now that they are trying to see what they have in Taysom Hill, because they're trying to see, again, life without Drew Brees, right, like Drew Brees has only really like two more years left on his contract with New Orleans, and now this injury really has up the andes so to speak right like up the uh timetable right like you want to see okay what do we have outside of drew Brees? do we have you know a quarterback in taysom hill who can run we've seen him run we've seen him do spots as tight end uh wide receiver play on special teams all that stuff that he's done but we want to see what can he be as a quarterback is he you know the quarterback of the future or should we start looking for stuff in the draft right because that new orleans office is explosive already right like and i've said this before and i said we'll say this again i think we're getting that um drew Brees is not so much holding them back but isn't pushing them to the levels that they want them to be at right like i think the drew Brees instinct is to, um, you know, throw the short passes, throw, you know, those underneath routes, all that other stuff. But right now we need to see, can Drew Brees, you know, push the ball downfield? Is he capable of doing other statements that he is? And right now you have a quarterback battle in you know, Taysom Hill, Jamin Winston, because they went with Taysom, because I think the only reason why they went with Taysom was because he's been in that offense for years. He knows it. He knows the playbook. You don't have to truly worry about him, right? Like, Jameis, you still have the issue of the interceptions, right? The interceptions are there, but they're still one of those things that, you know, comes with quarterbacking, right? But maybe not at the rate that Jameis was throwing them, but they still come with it, right? So, like, I think they just went with Taysom because it was a safe bet, and they want to see. I don't know how I feel about Taysom Hill. Again, people, you know, compare him to – I think he gets a lot of passing because of the fact he is an athletic quarterback, mostly because he's a white athletic quarterback, so people don't really push the envelope of saying, like, well, can he really, you know, throw like they do with, I don't know, Lamar Jackson, right? Like, they don't – they compare those two, but they always say that, well, Taysom Hill is just the white Lamar Jackson. It's like – I don't know if that's an insult to Lamar Jackson or Taysom Hill, right? Because Taysom Hill is explosive. Like I said, he's played different positions on the floor. on the On the floor, he plays, you know, tight end. You know, does special teams, wide receiver. You know, all that stuff, right? Like they even changed his position on fantasy so that way you can actually start him at different positions. But I think he gets a lot. I think he gets a pass because of the fact that he is, you know, white, right? Like he doesn't get the labels of well, he's just the running quarterback. Can he throw, right? Because People don't know, like at um, BYU, Taysom, you know, that's the college Taysom Hill went. He was not known for throwing. He was a running quarterback. Like one day he had, I think, 191 yards in rushing and only 99 yards in passing, right? Like, he actually outrushed his own passing yards, right? So it's going to be. Again, I think they just went with him because they know that he has the offense down packed. He has the offense. He knows the offense back of to hand. He's been in positions like this where he's come in in the middle of games and throw deep because Drew Brees can't really throw deep anymore. So, we'll see, but I really think at the end of the day, they'll probably start end up starting James Winston just because I think he's just a better quarterback overall. Like He's probably out of all the backups, the best backup quarterback out there. So, and like I said, you don't go sign Jameis Winston if you believe in Taysom Hill. So like I think that's gonna end up being Jameis's team for the time being until Drew Brees comes back. So let's go to the the Chicago Bears because guys, that Monday night game. I try not to drink on Mondays because you know it's Monday. You know, I, I you know I'm working less because of COVID. Boo hoo. Uh, you know I try not to drink on Mondays the bears made me drink and not like just like my regular look like i had to break into my dark liquor cabinet because the bears were depressing me on monday like the bears have done this so well right where they get your hopes up so high and you think okay cool like they look like they got a good team this year you know what everybody was up on the nick Foles train you know you know Nick Foles was the key to unlocking this offense, right? Like, if if, if once we get Nick Foles in there, there's going to be no stopping us. We got a Super Bowl MVP, the guy that beat Tom Brady in the Super Bowl, you know, the guy that, you know, took the team to, you know, a playoff run after again. We got our guy, right? And I literally keep looking, and I said this over and over again. Nick Foles is not a starting quarterback. He is a great backup quarterback. But when you give him the starting role, it doesn't work. I'm going to relay it to this so that way everybody knows. Nick Foles is kind of like your side dude. You think you got it. You think you keep good, right? Like he does all the things he wants you to do, all the things that your main dude doesn't, right? But then when you elevate him to main dude status, you see why he was your side dude because it never works out. Nick Foles is the ultimate side dude. He can come in the clutch and get you championships, playoff victories. He can win you games, but he cannot do it at a consistent level. And that is the problem for years with Bears quarterback, not just you know Nick Foles. They have not had a, uh, sustained success at quarterback, right? Like the most successful one was, I think, what like Jay Cutler. And that was a train wreck unto once itself. A fun train wreck, but a train wreck unto once itself. And a lot of people are trying to play well where do we place the blame at right like do we place the blame at the um the gm who you know he drafted mitchell trubisky you know he drafted he moved up to get him he moved up to number two where i didn't think he needed to move up to number two to get him he would have been there at number three um he moved up to get him you know know the history he passed on Deshaun Watson he passed on Patrick Mahomes we know we know the history there's no need to refurbish that you know bring that back up but you know do we blame the GM for drafting him so high right where the guy who and again I watch a lot of ACC football because I'm a Miami Hurricane fan so I saw college Mitchell Trubisky and I must say like he has something right like it's something there right like he is a very good athletic quarterback i think he gets he's underrated athleticism and he has an arm that can throw not deep not you know he can't you know throw it deep but he has those intermediate routes he has those short routes arm that you can work with right like the thing is i don't think anybody ever worked with him right like the John Fox era they kind of threw him in midseason right like just you know growing pains on the job right like and he did fine that year right you have the, the Matt Nagy year the, the first year Matt Nagy came there and he had the you know you know successful year 24 uh, touchdowns you know took the team to a, a north title took the team to a playoffs, really and truthfully played well in that playoff game only lost because of a double doink you know it wasn't his fault that they lost that year right like everybody was just like it was cody parkey's fault because it was um and if you look at that team right like it was built for this type of quarterback it's built for a quarterback that is a little bit more mobile right like they can you know run you know those read options right like can have those rpo passes rpo runs right like who is very much able to uh keep the defense guessing right so I, you know, a lot of people was asking, where does the blame fall onto Who do you blame, right? Like, who are you going to point the finger to? I really have to point the finger at Matt Nagy, right? Like, he was brought in to be the quarterback whisperer, right? Like, you he was under the Andy Reid tree, right? Like, you under the Andy Reid tree. So, you have, look at the quarterbacks that he has made, you know, basically made, right? Donovan McNabb, Randall Cobb, Michael Vick, um... Alex Smith, Patrick Mahomes, right? Like, you look at the quarterbacks that Andy Reid has developed, and they're still good to this day, right? Like, people remember those quarterbacks, right? Like, I mean, Patrick Mahomes is a perfect example, right? The youngest quarterback to get to 75 touchdowns ever, right? So now, when you look at Matt Nagy, you think, okay, we're getting an Andy Reid guy, right? We're getting someone who can, who is a quarterback whisperer, who can, you know, help our young quarterback develop into you know, something special. And he was doing that for a while, but the problem is he never changed his offense to fit Mitchell Trubisky, right? Like he want, he, you know, he's was playing that West coast style of offense and that West coast style of offense is fine until, but you have a quarterback who isn't like true West coast, right? With the West coast, you have to have someone who's a gunslinger, right? Like Brett Favre, right? You have, you know, he's a gunslinger, he's a gambler, you know, Aaron Rodgers, you know, the ones that can throw deep, the ones that can, you know, read a defense, make them guess, do all of that stuff that, you know, veteran quarterbacks can do. Mitchell Trubisky is a young quarterback, and you're trying to put him in a offense that really isn't made for young quarterbacks off the rip, right? You look at Andy Reid, when he got Michael Vick, he changed his offense around to fit Michael Vick, right? When Michael Vick, you know, came out of prison, people were still guessing, like, is this the same Michael Vick that we saw in Atlanta? It's not going to, you know, he can't be he's a year older he has been a year off of football we don't know if he still has what he had in Atlanta right and then to be truthful Michael Vick did change his game up he became a little bit more of a passing quarterback but he still had the ability to run and Andy Reid saw that and changed his offense around Michael Vick the thing with uh Matt Nagy did he never changed his offense right like he kept his offense the same and tried to make Mitchell Trubisky his quarterback that that's not how it's going to work right like you can't change someone to the perfect thing that you want to be you have to fit your offense around him so i have to blame that nagy because i have to see you you were brought in as a quarterback whisperer quote unquote you were brought in to be the you know to unlock this offense right like and then you wanted to go get somebody in nick Foles who you thought could unlock this offense and you you know you beg and plead to get Nick Foles. And now you see that it started off fine, right? Like it started off okay. But then even in those games where they were winning, right? Like the, you know, those two starts that he won, it still wasn't all the way there, right? Like when they threw him in, in Atlanta, right? Like what I said, it was way too early, right? You have a quarterback in Mitchell Trubisky who is three and O, you have a quarterback who has an offense that is at least at the time frame where it was middle of the pack, right? Like, the offense was 20, uh, 17th in yards, 20th in um, yards per pass, you know, 25th in runs, but that was fine. The offense was still getting it together with no offseason, right? Like, now I think if it was still Mitchell Trubisky's team, I think they would a little be a little bit more higher. Now you have an offense in Nick Foles who is second to last, right? Like, second to last in offense, second to last in runs. Rushing yards, second to last in pass plays. Right, like the only team they are better than in offense is a team that's zero and ten. Right, like when a five and you know five and five team only offensively is better than a zero and ten team. Like there is something legitimately wrong there. Right, like this is something that you cannot just sit here and be like, oh, okay, cool. Like they we can fix this easily. Right, like well we just got to move here, here. We got to move this here. And like no, there is something there that I don't know if Matt Nagy can fix to this year right like i think this year is a wash right like i thought you know i don't i hate saying it because i don't i don't want to be like oh you know this year they just might go well pack it in and play for the draft pick. i think they still have an opportunity to play like they have the third easiest schedule coming out of the bye i mean right off rip they got green bay which is an up and which is a real up and down team right now like green bay has shown signs of being great, but also have shown signs of being, you know, vulnerable. The game against Jacksonville was a perfect example. You have a unknown quarterback and he comes in and basically hangs 20 on that defense. It basically hangs in there when Aaron Rodgers has that defense on the ropes for a little bit, like only a leg second, you know, few, uh, because of his inexperience you win the game 24 to 20 so it's still one of those things where we don't know what is and is not with the Packers so we have to see about that but they have an easier schedule going out and my thing is I think a lot of people are going to see that win streak happen eventually and think okay so everything is fixed so see all you guys were worried about nothing see we we had our team right I hope that the people in power don't see that, right? Like, and do I think Matt Nagy needs to be fired? No, I don't think he needs to be fired. I think someone just needs to sit him down and say, listen, you need to make your offense fit this quarterback, right? Because... I don't think Mitchell Trubisky is going to be there next year. I think he is pretty much done in Chicago, like I said before. But I think they're going to go out, get a young quarterback, try to re- try to build around him, maybe try to find a quarterback in the um, free agency, which I really don't see that possibly happening, but it's whatever. Um, but, yeah, they need to sit Matt Nagy down and listen. Make your offense work around him. Do not try to make your off. Do not try to make him fit in your offense. Right, this is not. You know, you are trying to make a square peg going a round hole. It's not going to work. You gotta fit him. You gotta make this work with him because we're banking on that. Because now this is going to be year four for Matt Nagy and. I'm sorry, year three for Matt Nagy, and this is where, you know, contracts now come up, because he may or may not be in a hot seat, because again, it is, he's still under contract, so he doesn't have to worry about getting fired, he doesn't have to worry about his job security, but people are starting to now side-eye, right, like, and eventually, what you don't want is whenever fans are able to come back into the stadium, right, you don't want the Bluebirds, right, like, you that's the last thing you want to hear, right, like, I feel like a lot of teams are getting are lucky nowadays to be bad because it is a pandemic and a lot of teams can't have too many fans in there. Some teams can't have any fans. So they're able to avoid those blue, those uh, blue birds. So that's a plus sign, right? Cause imagine if, Philly fans were there and Philly right now is trash. Imagine if they were able if they were booing them, right? Like imagine that, right? Again, these are the guys that threw batteries at Santa Claus. Like remember, these are actual fans who don't like to lose, right? So that's what you don't want, right? So I think if the Bears can figure out that quarterback situation because they have a team around them right like they have offensive weapons right like and it's not all on the quarterback too because the offensive line has been ravaged right like cody whitehair got covid he was out you know james daniels got hurt charles leno got hurt like they like the backups to the backups got hurt so like they are running on like a third string offensive line hold together by duct tape and chewing gum right like this offensive line is so ravaged, right? Like and you can see it last um last Monday against the Vikings, right? Like he was trying to make adjustments and a lot of the times it got confused and that's when a lot of plays happened. That's how he got, you know, unfortunately slammed to the ground. Like luckily it wasn't it wasn't it looked worse than it was. Like it was just a hit pointer, so he should be, you know, okay to come back. But that offensive line is ravaged. Like if that offensive line can get better, like they have weapons around them, right? Like, they have Allen Robinson. They have uh, Darnell Mooney, who is coming out and being a star, you know, a young star, right? They have, you know, Anthony Miller. They have David Robinson. They have Cordell Patterson, right? They have a defense who is phenomenal, right? Like, that defense, you line that defense up against almost anybody, and they can hold them down, right? But the problem is that defense needs an offense to help it, right? That defense can – if you can at least – I always say this: If you can hold an offense to about seventeen points, there's always a high probability of you winning the game. If you um, can't do that, but if you can't score, then what are you doing, right? Like, then if you just say you kick, keep kicking field goals, right? Like the only offensive. You know, the only touchdown they scored in that game was off of a kickoff return, right? Like, you can't continue to bank off of that, right? Like, this isn't a few years ago where Devin Hester was literally your best offensive weapon on a guy who didn't take offensive snaps that year. So, if the Bears can figure that out and figure out how he... How that team can work, I think they could be real good real soon, right? Because you're wasting a lot of good people years, right? Like you're wasting Khalil Mack, you're wasting uh, Eddie Jackson, Kyle Fuller, Danny Trevathan, Roquan Smith. You're wasting like good players, good years. So now you just got to gotta figure that out. Hopefully, like I said, I don't know about this year. I think this year is kind of up in the air right now. It could be a wash. They could come back. I don't know if they're going to go on a, you know, six-game winning streak and go 11-5 in a season. But if they finish out, hopefully they can at least finish out 9-7, and 8-8, eight and eight, at least get a nice draft pick. Because at least we have a draft pick in the first round this year so we can get, you know, a better player, right? Like, I think we've done well in the draft, except that one on the one key position, which is quarterback. So, we'll see what the Bears can do because, again, like... We got, we got to see what they're going to do because I don't know what they're going to do. Before we get to the main topic of the day, because I really want to talk about that. Um, <clears throat> I do want to talk about a little bit about the draft. Um, the NBA draft, just like uh, most other drafts, was virtual. It, again, is one of those things where it's it's weird to see because, again, everybody doesn't go to the draft. Everyone you know stays home, so it's always nothing new when you see them surrounded by family. Um, I forgot the player's name, but he had it was the funniest thing in the draft. So I forgot his name is going to I got to look it up because I have it on my in my mind. I just forgot the name. He had his whole family there. Right. Like and he had, you know, his mama. He's from Africa. So it's hard to pronounce his name. And when they you know drafted him, it was he had his um his little girlfriend there who was white in the Kente cloth all of them decked out in kenthe cloth i was rolling i was just like does she even know where that come from when she just out there looking in that kenthe cloth because the mama was sat her the whole day that was funny but the bulls did uh actually do something good with the draft because they had a nice draft pick so they did pick a, um, a small uh small forward from florida state fine Again, I'm a Miami fan, so Florida State, cool. Uh, Anthony, uh, P- Anthony Powers, I think he's going to be a nice fit in that Young Bulls team. I think he is going to help help that Young Bulls team become youth. Like we said last week, uh, do I think the Bulls are a playoff team this year? No, I think they're going to be in the mix maybe for the AFC, maybe not. Like It depends on how the bulls work on their situation right like they still have a lot of key players they did you know they didn't sign chris dunn which i was a little bit like because chris dunn had like great games for the bulls but he also had kind of those clunkers and i think a lot of times those clunkers outweighed the good games that he had so I can see why they didn't uh match the offer for him for him uh, cuz he wasn't a um unrestricted free agent he was a restricted so like any team who wanted him had to go through the Bulls and the Bulls could say if we matched the offer or not so they didn't but they did he did not match you know he didn't really live up to the Bulls standard so now this isn't you know before where you can relax and still be on the Bulls team right now you know new regime new people so they want you know players who are going to play so I really am excited to see how the Bulls work this new uh, team out. I think he's going to be a good fit. I think he's. I think uh, Patrick's going to start immediately. I don't think he's going to, you know, I don't think he's going to be on the bench for too long. Again, with the shortened season, it's going with the shortened off season. It's going to be weird to see how this going to work out because a lot of again, a lot of players are still trying to match. You know. Be you know work out on teams work out with together you know how are they going to do this you know they can't be in you know certain areas or with a lot of people for a lot of period of time so you know zoom meetings all that stuff is going to see how it's going to work out right uh a lot of free agents like too many free agencies for me to like go through them all there's a bunch of key factors um dwight howard goes to Dwight Howard goes to uh, Philadelphia 76ers after saying that he was going to resign back with the Lakers, which is always, which is cool. Like the Lakers lost Dwight and Rondo. Rondo is now with the Atlanta Hawks. Um, That's going to be fun to see Rondo and Trey Young together playing. We got uh, Montre, uh, Montre Hall, the uh, sixth man of the year. He went to Montre uh, Hall. He went to, uh, he went to LA he was already signed with the Clippers he went to the Lakers which apparently they didn't know because it shocked him because uh, it shocked Patrick Beverly when he signed with them so he didn't know that's kind of right now a shift well people forget uh, he's a Rich Paul client right Rich Paul is LeBron James's boy so you know he was going to find a way to get there um, it kind of it doesn't really shift the power in LA a little bit at all it's still kind of the LA you know L.A. Lakers right now because they are the champions Uh, the big move though is uh, because it looks like Oklahoma City is in a rebuild mode because they traded away Steven Adams they uh, traded away CP3 and he went to um, Phoenix to join Devin Booker which I think is going to be very interesting because if people remember Phoenix while Phoenix while they were eliminated from the playoffs in the bubble they went 8-0 in the bubble right like they were dominating in the bubble and I think Along with somebody like a Chris Paul to help out of Devin Booker, you have a you have him you have um, Edmonds there. You have all of these young players there who are starting to uh come together. Now you add in the veteran element like a CP three there. He's going to make that team a lot better, right? Like I can see them being in that. I don't think a lot of people are saying like they're going to be challenging. You know, they're challenging the Lakers. Like they're not challenging the Lakers just yet, right? But I think they're. Up in the upper echelon, right? I think they're going to be a four seat, right? Like I think they're going to be maybe a five seat, right? I don't see them cracking anything that high, like higher than like four or five, right? Because I think it's going to be L.A., um, Lakers, Clippers, Utah as the top three right now. That's for what I see, right? Like Utah, maybe Denver in that mix right now. That's who I see as the top three. Um probably the biggest news that I find slightly funny is that James uh James Harden wants to go to Brooklyn, right, to join you know join Kyrie, to join Kevin Durant and the Nets. <clears throat> um that's gonna be if it happens, I think people are a lot of people are saying like, okay, you can just put the title in Brooklyn, right? Like they win it. I don't think so because I think You forget, like, this isn't the same James Harden that was in Oklahoma City, right? Like, this isn't the same James Harden that was happy to be, you know, on the bench, you know, coming off, you know, not, you know, not, you know, contributing that way, right? Like, now you have a James Harden who has been, who is an MVP, right? Who has had, you know, his spotlight, right? Like, who has been the star of the show for so long, and now you're trying to tell him that, okay, cool, now you have another ball-dominant point guard. You have a ball-dominant, um small forward who can shoot right you have a now you're trying to have a ball dominant shooting or like you have too many ball dominant people to have it be able to share the ball equally right like so I don't know if that will work because of just the dynamic of everything because I don't think James Harden is going to go back to being like okay cool I'm happy to come off the bench again right like not after being in Houston being the guy right like even though he has hasn't showing up in the playoffs like a lot of people would like to be you're still trying to tell him to come off the bench and be like y'all you you can uh lead our second unit right like that's not going to how that's not how it's going to work so
1: yeah,
0: <laughs> but it, it really did it though
1: hush.
0: It, mm, did it, in state? it you're, yeah okay a little bit but similar <laughs> but it's still jay's Harden and i don't think jay's Harden is going to be like yeah i'm happy to come off the bench Unless, unless, he, unless he goes to Golden State and he knows he's gonna win a ring because you know they got they lost Clay Thompson for the um, year because he tore his Achilles. State to where you had everybody who can actually control the ball, and and Kevin Durant came there. And it worked. Yeah, it worked because, but also you gotta remember they had Steve Kerr there. Mm-hmm. No one ever, no one ever doubted who was the guy in in um Golden State. Everybody knew Steph Curry was that dude. Yeah, but. They but they, they also know like okay well they were not winning championships before but soon Kevin Durant came now they win championships. They no they won a champ they won. A, Golden State won the championship before they choked it last year when they went seventy three and seventy three and nine. Mm-hmm. But the only difference is like I said like they got Kevin Durant but Kevin Durant came in chase a he was chasing the ring so that was that helped. That's what Dan doing. He well he not doing it yet because like I said. He, <laughs> But as I said before, when I said it on the internet, you know you really hate your job when you turn it down to be the first player in NBA history to be paid fifty million per year to go to a team where you go, you may be the third option at best. If he goes over there, then the Lakers will have problems. You know that, right? Oh, of course. Yeah, they're going to have a problem. Because they, they didn't sign no. They have not signed anybody that I think is going to actually help the Lakers. Like, they lost the White. They lost Rondo. They re-signed KCP. They got Montre Helles. But he's not. Again, he's a six-man, so that helped their bench. But, no, like, the Lakers going to have an issue. The Lakers going to have an issue this year anyway. Yeah. Denver's better. Portland could be, be coming up. It won because of COVID. So. <laughs> the, uh, the, 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 recorded, the recorded finals. Yeah. The, they had to direct the finals. It's like, wait, cut, cut. All right, well, hold on, Miami. You're scoring too much. Let me, you know. We got to position this way. We position this way. And, and then get foul. And, then we'll go, and get There foul. we go, yeah. Martin's going to <laughs> <foul. laughs> I, mean, I could, I could believe it. you like know. <laughs> you fine? Because it actually perfectly translates into the next topic. Because okay. uh, 16 years ago, this week was probably the most infamous sports uh, event happened. The Malice at the Palace. Everybody remembers that where Ron Artest ran up and fought the fans. The Malice in the Palace is probably the most interesting thing in sports history. Right? Like everybody remembers where they were when this happened. Right? Like you, again, when OJ was running down the street in a white Bronco. You remember there? I do. I was teething just to just to make everybody else feel old and uh, you know. Oh, yeah, I was teething when OJ was driving the right Bronco. <laughs> I was in, so I have to break it down. So I was in school. So, like, back in the day, it was like 2004, I really wasn't like watching basketball like I was before, right? Like, Michael Jordan had just kind of, you know, retired. Uh, it was in the midst of the Kobe, that first three P to the Kobe, you know, era. You know, LeBron just came in a year before so we really it really was no like true like superstars that people could attach to at the moment right like we had talent in the league but it wasn't like okay we still you know we attaching the stars right like the probably the most one i related to the most was Dwayne Wade, but that's because he was from robin so that was probably really it the malice because a lot of people a lot of people relate the malice at the palace is when the nba got quote unquote soft right like because for those who do not know, uh, now, uh, 2004, December, not December, November 17th, um, 2004, uh, it was a game between Indiana and Detroit. And people forget that this was the year that Indiana was pretty good. Detroit was pretty good. They were kind of battling out for the first seed in the East. They were, you know, doing, you know, playing basketball, right? Like it was, a... Uh, 97, 82 with 50 seconds left in the fourth quarter. Right, so some of the stars were still out there. A lot of them were sitting. Again, you know, it was chippy the entire game. Right, like it was chippy the entire game because a lot of people back then, this was you know, still in the where still in the time in the league where you can still you could punch somebody and not get you know a technical file. Right, like this was still that time frame. So um, what happened was. Uh, 50 seconds left Um, Ben Wallace goes to the hole he gets fouled by Steven Jackson right like so blows you know pushing shoving little blows nothing you know nothing too major right nothing like outside of the normal NBA fight at the time so Ron Artest is on you know Ron Artest you know they pull out Ron Artest they say okay you're you're done for the night they pull they start pulling people out Ron Artest is on the um tables that you know is on the table and next thing you know, a cup flies at Ron Artest. He it hits him, and he is. And all we see is the camera cuts, and it's probably one of the best camera cuts I've seen in a while. Like the camera cuts to the um, Detroit Benz because they were talking about you know Ben Wallace maybe get ejected. And next thing you know, when he comes back, all we see is Ron Artest punching a fan. So a lot of people, you know, was like, "Oh my goodness!" You know, next thing you know, Stephen Jackson is up there. You got Jermaine O'Neal up there. It was pure chaos. They called the game. They had to get everybody out. I still remember the quote of the century where Ron Artest, when he told Steven Jackson, he said, yo, Steve, you think we'll get in trouble for this? Mm -hmm. So, and I think a lot of, that is probably the callous of when, you know, it switched, right? Like, the NBA became, uh, in quote, in a lot of people's minds, softer, right? Like, a lot of people said that this was the moment where the NBA became soft. This is when, you know, you no longer could just... You no longer could just go in a hole and beat people up. You no longer had, you know, you got technical fouls. You got called, you know, it was a new technical foul rule where if you got two in a game, you got kicked out, you know, and then if you got two and you got kicked out, you got suspended for the next game. A lot of people, you know, um, glue those two items together. But I always say whenever I talk about the malice of the palace is that the nba was headed towards that way anyway this was just the thing that they needed to somewhat push it further right like a lot of people forget about the fact that like i said the nba was waning in popularity in the early 2000s right like a lot of people you know watched for the jordan you know the jordan dynasty ending right like the last bit of that right it was you know in between right before the Lakers, you know, 3 peat right? Kobe was Kobe was on the uh, march to do the first the first ever to, you know, a 4 peat right? We had a lot of intrigue. You had, you know, Reggie Miller chasing the ring, right? Like you had San Antonio, you know, becoming, you know, a great team there. You had a lot of teams in the East trying to figure out who's now is the top dogs now that the Bulls are, you know, <clears throat> not as great so it was a lot of intrigue right like you had you know a young lebron james coming into league you had a young you know dwayne wade in miami you had him in cleveland you had all these moving pieces that were going to push the league forward for the next 10 years so you had to have it so that it wasn't as rough as it was in the 90s right because a lot of people liked the quote unquote um designated violence in the 90s so to speak right like where you could do the jordan rule where it was just you know you go onto the hole and it's okay to just clothesline somebody right like they were slowly but surely changing that right like a lot of people uh, if i put my conspiracy theory hat on a lot of people said that the nba um planted that right like the nba planted the fans there that this was all a, you know plant because they wanted to change it they just needed an excuse to do it so that way they could have public on their side right like so a lot of people say that but here's the thing right like so but the nba the nba was already changing that way because a lot of times this is again in the year where ai was there where a lot of people in the nba were wearing you know you had the baggy pants you had the white tees you had the jewelry you had the cornrows you had you know a lot of things that were not being perceived well to the family value that they were the NBA was trying to push, right? Like they were getting a subset of ratings that they didn't want and that way they knew who they were targeting, right? Like again, whenever you see someone with baggy pants, white tee, jewelry, cornrows tattoos you know the quote unquote thug demographic that they didn't want that much but they were getting because of guys like ai jermaine o'neal ron artest you know they were getting the imagery of that but they couldn't just go and be like hey we're going to go we're going to tell these guys that you got to switch it up you got to wear suits you got to wear you know you can't be out here looking like that right you can't be out here wearing this right they had to switch it up but they couldn't do that just off rip because they if they did that's how you lose half the nba but because of the malice like it was so it had such a ripple effect right like they had a legitimate excuse on to say, hey you saw this right like so we have to change it up right and there was no excuse so that's when it went from you know you had to wear at least a suit and tie to games right? Like you had to show up prim and proper you couldn't just come up any old type of way that you had to do all of these things correctly and the bigger issue with the palace was the malice at the palace was that a lot of people forget that at that time frame, <clears throat> the NBA was losing not only ratings but they were starting to get because the NFL were starting to get um just lawsuits for CTE was starting to pop up for the NFL around this time frame right like a lot of people were starting to link you know concussions to early set on dementia you know early set Alzheimer's the um, you know, everything that we hear now about CTE and all of that it started to a little bit to get framed together with the, you know, concussion protocol. So the and if again, if you look at the NBA, NFL less so in mlb but hl uh you know hockey they really never had a concussion protocol until later in the years because of the of that fact that they didn't understand what it was going on and they were losing a lot of their older players you know a lot of players committed suicide a lot of players were not living up to substandards they were doing all of these stuff that was affecting them hard way and the nfl was trying to look at it and be like listen we're trying to the NFL was already starting to get lost lawsuit. So they, the NBA was looking like, listen, we're trying to avoid that as much as possible. So now this here is another reason why, okay, cool, we can change it up. You can no longer just go out and fight somebody, right? Like if you start fighting someone on the court, you're suspended for, you know, a certain amount of games, right? You're suspended for, you know, you losing money, you're losing paycheck, you're losing time on TV, right? So especially that time frame, because that was the era of the stay ready all-stars, right? Like. Someone, if you don't know first of all you don't know what a stay ready all-star is you don't have to get ready if you stay ready if you understand that comment we can be friends but this was the that means that like any at any time you know it could go down right like so they had to kind of quarrel that because a lot of people were watching it and they were getting imagery of street ball right like it was very it was very racial on the reason why like they changed it. Right. Because a lot of imagery of, you know, that street ball, the thug mentality, they didn't really want that happening in the NF in the NBA. Right. Like they were losing, you know, that family market. Right. Like they just signed that deal with ESPN, ABC to get on, you know, primetime television. Like a lot of people forget, like, They were on primetime television, but it was really only like, you know, playoff games or important games. It wasn't like it is now where, you know, you have the probability of seeing like, you know, um, the Hornets versus the Memphis Grizzlies in like a primetime spot. Right. Like that was never thought of back then. Right. You have. You know, the Seattle, C- uh, Seattle Seahawks, see, Seattle Supersonics versus uh, San Antonio. That was never thought of being in, like, a primetime Sunday matchup, right? Like, a primetime Monday night game, right? Like, that was never thought of. And they didn't want people to turn on the TV and see and remember, oh, right, that's right, this is the team that fought the fans. Oh, this, you know— if I'm, am I going to see you know fans you know get beat up am I going to be safe if I go to games right like how all of this started happened <clears throat> so that's why I like i say like when people say the NBA got soft it really didn't get soft it just got smarter because they knew that they were going to lose money if they didn't happen right like they suspended How ha- again people forget like that was just a regular season game between Detroit and um Indiana right like they had a playoff game after that. They had a playoff series in the Eastern Conference Finals to go to the, to go to the uh, conference finals, to go to the NBA Finals, right? Like people forget about that. Like that final, they had to sit teams down and say, listen, we don't care what happens. Like there will be no fighting, right? Like we will literally kick both of you all off the uh, road and just give it to the Lakers at the time. So again the malice had so many ripple effects like we're still feeling it to the nba today and i think we're i think now it's just become such a key point in history right like it is one of those things that you don't forget right like everyone always brings it up right like even though they don't play at the palace you know even though detroit's not as great they still remember the palace right like ron artest still gets you know questions about it. like reggie miller is still always talking always brings it up right right because it's such a key point in sports history like it's very few you know points that changed that you can say that points to that you can say that changed the dynamic of a sport in general right and again it just affected how a lot of people covered sports right like because now a lot of people even now today say that the fans you know the fans were you know attacked and they should feel some type of way well first of all i don't care how much you drink i don't care how much you pay for your ticket i don't care any of that you do not have the right you have every right i will say that you have every right to say that they suck that boo you know go home whatever right there is lines that you not do not cross right like you do not go up there and throw a cup of beer at a player right like and then don't expect them to be, you know, to basically retaliate, right? Like you do not do that, right? Like I have always say, like I am a hundred percent with the players, right? Like if you throw a beer at me, you, you know, that means okay, cool. That means you're willing to get this butt whooping, right? Like you can, you can say whatever, right? Like I always say, you know, I talk to one of my wrestling friends, and they always say this, like you pay the ticket, you can tell me I suck, you can tell me I'm bad, you can do all these things, but when you start talking about my family, when you physically put your hands on me, that is the line that you do not cross, and I think a lot of people forget that those fans cross that line, right, like, a lot of people, you know, oh, well, you know, even if they do say those things, you have to, you know, be able to push it aside, and you know, perform your job regularly, like, no, like, How would you like it if I came to your job, constantly told you you suck at it, and then kept, you know, pushing your buttons and then finally threw something at you, right? Like, someone always, like, it's a line, right? Like, you have the right to do that, but at the same time, I have every right to come up there and embody you, and that's what happened. So, I think people just... Because, again, it was always that divide of, like, well, who was right and who was wrong, right? Like, I always, like I said, the fans were wrong in that sense, right? Like, once you throw something at me, that means, okay, cool, right? Like, you about this, right? And people forget, Steven Jackson didn't run up there to, like, help uh, Ron Artest. Steven Jackson ran up there to help the fans because he knew Ron Artest at that time. for Like, a lot of people, you know, no meta World Peace. They don't know Ron Artest, Right, like it was the one time when uh, Tyler Heckenberg, he was uh, the crazy white dude from North Carolina, he played for Toronto, and this was when um, Ron Artest was still playing with the Lakers. He tried, he got a rebound and got pushed, and he tried to ball up on somebody and turned around and saw it was Ron Artest. He's like, nah, I'm good, cause listen, crazy recognized crazy. Ron Artest is not, Ron Artest was not the one to play with. Right, like he is a, he is a stay ready Hall of Famer. He, you do not do that right like Ron Artest especially when he was young Ron Artest he didn't care about nothing so you come around to it when you have to uh, play into that position right you cannot think that I can throw beers at someone talk about their families talk about their livelihood you know do all of these things and not have a somewhat repercussion now of course again it's changed up a little bit more there's a little bit more security there there hasn't been like a altercation this bad. There have been other ones I've seen. Like it was one time at Oklahoma State, uh, Marcus Smart was playing there at the time frame, and allegedly, uh, allegedly, they called him the N. Uh, Oklahoma fans called him the N word, and he walked up into the crowds. We have the you know imagery of LeBron James. I think it was the last Cleveland, and yeah, it was the last Cleveland and Golden State. Um finals where fans would call him so many type of words and he turned around and almost jumped in the crowd and she was just like i didn't do it of course you had the lebron james issue when he got his house spray painted i think it's it's always i did it's always because fans i think get to a certain level of comfortability that they think they can do or say anything that they want right because people forget fan is short for fanatic right like so it was a level of just rage that I had never seen before. And again, it's something that people forget and people point to that never forget and people point to as why the NBA now has changed in since, right? I right, that was it. I just wanna talk about the Malica again, it's just it's a fun thing to break down because that one event had ripple effects that the NBA still had to deal with years to come, right? You know, it's one of the key factors on why people It's one of the key factors on why people say that Ron Artest probably won't get in the Hall of Fame, which I which, again, I still think is kind of upsetting because I think Ron Artest is a Hall of Fame level player, not first ballot. But I think after a certain point, Ron Artest is like a Hall of Fame player. Yeah, I think, again, like it changed everything, right? Like someone said, but uh, do you think we'll ever go like No. Like, why would... What benefit would they have of going back, right? Like, a lot of people... Again, I always say there's a lot of people who look at nostalgia through rose-colored glasses, right? Like, if you look at, you know, documentaries from that time in 90s basketball, you look up YouTube games, YouTube games in 90s basketball, right? Like, they were... If you're a defensive battle type of guy, like low-scoring games, yeah, those games were great for you, right? But now... If a game ended at 65, 77, right? Like nobody will watch that. Like that's not a that's not a uh, you know high scoring game, right? Nobody wants to see that. People again want to see those one on one, one on one, you know, one tens, you know, those one twenties, one thirty games, right? Like they want to see those high scoring games because people like that type of action, right? Like that's why you know people like scores like James Harden, Kevin Durant, you know. Kyrie, LeBron, AD, you know, they like high scoring games. You know, they like, you know, people like to say they like defensive battles, but at the end, defensive battles are kind of boring. So it all, you know, it all measures out to be the same. So if, if you don't know what about the Malice at the Palace, again, just look it up. Like just type in Malice at the Palace. You'll have a ball watching just, again, the chaos that happened there. Right. Like, again, like it was like a movie Cause some of the moving parts were just amazed at what happened. So, um, I do want to talk about this because it's funny because I thought y'all liked Roy Jones Jr. I don't know why y'all want him to die when he about to go fight Tyson. Cause if you don't know, they, uh, him and Tyson are having a charity fight over Thanksgiving week. I thought y'all liked Roy Jones. Cause have y'all seen the video of Tyson training? Like this man has trained better than he did back in the day. And back in the day, he was still a monster or like, I saw a video of him the other day training. He looks like he could, he looks like he can still fight today. Like not like a full fight. Maybe if you go like 10 rounds, you know, 10, you know, maybe five rounds. It looked like Tyson could knock somebody out right now, right? Like Tyson is probably in the best shape of his career. He looks still amazing, He also has that key factor that, oh, by the way, he's still crazy. And the thing about crazy, once it gets older, it still gets stronger. Like, crazy strength don't go nowhere. Crazy strength stay. And Tyson, you know, might have, you know, mellowed out over the years. He's not as bad as he was, but he's still, that's still a bad man. And you talk about putting him in there who can get knocked out, who can knock somebody out easily? Nah, couldn't be me. Cause Roy Jones, like I said, Roy Jones, like Roy Jones was bad, was a bad man himself. But he still wasn't Tyson bad. Like he was not like that level of boxing royalty, right? Like he is still one of those um, players where you, can, not players, but boxers, where you still fear him, right? Like everybody knows, you know, boxers never lose that boxing strength, but Tyson is still at a level you don't even want to mess with. So, like I thought, y'all liked Roy Jones. I thought y'all, you know, felt his pain, but nah, y'all trying to get this man. You try. I don't want to see a man die. I I've told you before, I'm not for this black on black violence, right? Like I am for peace, but this is going to be funny to watch. I'm not watching it. Cause I, like I said, I don't want to see a man get hurt. Um, before I get up out of here, I do want to talk about this because somebody did bring it up. Uh, not so when I was talking about the saints earlier, someone brought up the fact that they, you know, Put uh Taysom Hill in over Jameis because of the fact of the interceptions. Okay, so here's the thing, right? Like, Jameis in the interceptions is very interesting, right? Because he got laser surgery, so he was out here throwing interception He was throwing 33 touchdowns blind, first of all, right? Like, so now imagine him being able to see. The interceptions, I think, come from that Bruce Arians' offense is down the field, make a big play beat the off you know, deep plays, cut off, you know, all those things, right? Like, the New Orleans Saints offense is more on the lines of beat you down with run plays, you know, short passing, you know, tire you out. Then in the fourth quarter, we dominate you, take you over the top, right? Like, the thing with Jameis is, is like, people think that, oh, you can't put him in there because he's just going to start throwing wildly, right? Like, no, like, if you have a coach in Sean Payton who can take a guy in Jameis Winston and tell him, listen, if you see double coverage, throw to somebody else. If you see that you think he can't get it, throw to somebody else, right? like Don't throw it into double coverage because the fact that your arm is not going to get you out of those situations. It's not that he doesn't believe in Jameis Winston. It's just that... Taysom Hill has been in that offense for a longer time, right? Like Taysom Hill has been in there off. He knows that offense like the back of his hand. He knows Sean Payton, like the back of his hand. He knows all of these things. It's not that James doesn't, he doesn't trust James. It's just, I would rather trust the backup. I known for the longest than throwing in a guy that I don't know. Like the unknown is always better than the known. So with Taysom Hill, yeah, he, you know, might only been known for running. He might only been known for, you know, doing all these effective things on passing, on um special teams, being a tight end. He may only know those things per se, but at the same time, he knows that, okay, I can trust him a little bit more than Jameis. He knows Jameis has a level of carefreeness with the ball, especially at the position that the Saints are in now, right? Like they control the nfc south right like they basically have a pathway to either the first either you know a number one seed or a um that's that number two seed right like they have they have home field advantage basically locked up they don't want to so much be you know reckless with that because again there's only one you know there's only one buy this year right like they're not doing that differently they're only doing a buy so they have to play smart in this cover time so that's the only reason why i think um uh they started tasting over Jameis. and speaking of nfl uh the college NBA, college basketball um, college football should say is doing something that i think is extremely reckless and why i said that the players should be in an uprage so for as you know there is a college football committee and this college football committee you know picks the you Know one, two, three, four seeds to play for the college, you know, title. Uh, of course, this year with COVID, I think this has um ravaged college football. You know, games are being canceled left and right. You know, the games are being canceled right. Players are getting it, play, coaches are getting it. They're having to you know pull out games, pull out of stats, do all this stuff differently. So, college football said that they aren't going to look at it any different, like they're going to continue to do what they do which is still you know match up the best four teams if one of those four teams cannot play because of covert related issues they are now going to just essentially give the other team a bye so let's just say clemson and oklahoma right like if clemson can't play because of um covert related issues then oklahoma gets a bye into the national championship and this is why i said if I was a college football player, I would be in an uproar because now you're essentially telling me I had to play during the pandemic. And if, you know, if some if something happens where one of my teammates, one of my coaches get it and now we have to pull out my hard work during the regular season gets null and void because I can't because you all don't want to push back a game right like my hard work basically says no nah, you good you better luck next year right like this is why i've said like if i was a college football player i would be in an uproar because you're now telling me that the work i put in the times in the, uh me being smart me being careful me you know doing everything right now because just so happens someone have got sick just because some something might have happened i get punished for it right like no like Push it back for the players. Right? Like again, for a lot of these players, it's the last time they're going to play for college football, right? Like, for a lot of these players, is the last time they're going to probably be on a big stage like this, right? If some, if you're somebody like a Trevor Lawrence, this is probably the last time you're going to be in a position where you're going to be t- uh, challenging for a title for a long time because you're probably going to end up going to the Jets. And Lord knows that's not going to be fun. So, this is a disgrace because this is a literally just like, Hey, we getting our money and our ratings. You all are getting something out of it too. Just not a college title. So like that to me shows that again, you did not care about these kids. You only cared about ratings and money. So it's, I, it's, it's just horrible to see hard work that a lot of these kids doing just go down a drain. Right. So I don't know. College football, once again, just again, continue to disrespect those players. Well, <clears throat> that is all the time i have for this week guys i will see you in two weeks because fat man favorite holiday coming up and you know i ain't gonna interrupt my food but until then guys you check out uh because i have a live mic on anchor uh google podcast all that fun stuff make sure you check it out make sure you give it a listen share it with your friends you know if you don't like it share it with them anyway so that way they can live in your misery too that's how it works until then guys two fingers deuces